0: Spacetime. The ever-expanding frontier. These are the records of the most needlessly complicated rewatch of the Star Trek franchise ever. Its mission? To locate every second and contemplate every eon. From outside time, to the Big Bang, all the way to the end of all existence. To do what no sane entity has ever done before. This is the Temporal Trek Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Temporal Trek podcast. We are in Season 1 and we are on Episode 8. We're going to Season 5 of The Next Generation with Time's Arrow Part 1. We will also include Time's Arrow Part 2 from Season 6. I've already mentioned how I love The Next Generation, how that was my entryway into the Star Trek franchise and really getting into it, but I thought that I'd also drill it down a bit more. I love the seasons three four and five of star trek the next generation because they were the ones that i really got into i was really starting to become aware of the characters their writing had picked up um the producer michael pillar then starts to create the world of star trek that we really get to know for the next good decade after this and time's arrow is one of my favorite two-parters Because it's got time travel and I love that concept uh, as part of it Yes, Best of Both Worlds is in that era But Time's Arrow is still one of my favourites as well Now with this one, because I am still recording during the coronavirus pandemic Again, to date this podcast as to when I'm actually recording I'm going to mix it up a bit I'm actually going to watch the episode at the same time I'm reacting to it I'm hoping that this will sort of pick up the pace of the episode a little bit more and perhaps um, make my thoughts a little bit more fresh uh, and less prepared so that it's more my gut instinct and reaction to the episode. So we are going to begin at timestamp 18 minutes 26 seconds. So we're seeing Data uh, wake up on the street um, looks a bit confused. There are horses around him. We're not entirely sure how he got there. At this point, we haven't seen a flash or anything like that that we've seen in previous clips as well. Uh, he gets up and is just walking down. We can kind of see that this is America based on the fact there's a saloon sign. You know, it's not indicative of European cities as well.
1: With
0: an <laughs> I love how data is very precise. I'm going to pause it there. I love how he doesn't just instantly go into snake. Uh, he can see that, you know, um, what is around him. Surely there is some part of his positronic makeup and his memory that would identify where he is in the world and uh, on the planet Earth. Data picks up a newspaper and it's at this point we get a reference to the date. We are given August 13th, 1893. So I'm going to jump out of the episode and this is where I will put in my historical research. For So 1893, because we've been given a precise year, we have a far more uh, drilled down time stamp so all the facts i'm going to give you are just for that year we've also been given that this is san francisco so i am going to ignore world history and try and drill it down to just american history at this time uh, as well as i can now, as I've said in previous episodes, I didn't study American history. I am in no way an expert. So uh, for any American listeners or anyone out there who has studied American history, you know, correct me, please. I might have got some of this wrong. I may have read it wrong as I was trying to piece together a, uh, a segment for this part of the show. But in 1893, at the very beginning in January of that year, we saw white settlers going to uh, hawaii and overthrowing the monarchy of the time now we have queen lili o uh, who is dethroned by the white settlers and the u.s begin to intervene in the political structure at that time now i'm not entirely sure whether that means hawaii instantly became became a state as that part of it or whether it was sort of Assumed a bit later in its history. I'm again. I'm not an expert at this point, uh, but I took that to mean that Hawaii is now becoming part of the U.S. territory in America. A few months later, we actually have the first Mormon temple being built in Salt Lake City. Uh, so you're seeing the Mormon faith uh, solidifying its position here in the U.S. as well. Now this is the time of Ibsen, Wilde, Monet. Rudyard Kipling giants in literature and art but in this episode in this particular set of clips we're going to watch there is only one name that you could ever come to and that is of course Mark Twain himself Samuel Clemens now I'm not au fait with all of his works I've read I think two of them which was King Arthur's Court the Yankee in King Arthur's Court Uh, and I attempted to try and read some of uh, The Tragedy of uh, Puddin' Wilson, which is actually the book that was written after this set of clips takes place. It's actually written in uh, uh, 1894. The reason I tried to read that book was I was trying to do background research into um, uh, the slave trade and and that part of history because at the time we were doing that part of history the slave trade but also more the British side of it but I wanted to learn a bit more about the American side because I didn't know enough Uh, and I tried to read that book but because there were so many other uh, books to study at the time I didn't actually finish it but from what I saw it was kind of a play on the prince and pauper story uh, that it's um, uh, a uh, a black southern woman who uh, used to be a slave, uh, but somehow breaks free. I, I don't know if she went to the underground or not. I'm trying to remember. <laughs> it's been a while since I've gone back to it. But she swaps her actual birth son for a, a 1 16th, is it something? Uh, who's part black, uh, but well-to-do white son and she swaps their place and uh, they, they don't know about it and it's a more about his upbringing and how because he has privilege, her actual birth son becomes a, a terrible human being and that is the tragedy of Puddinghead Wilson um, the, it was a really fascinating read. I really wish i'd finished it uh, but now i've I've sadly lost the copy uh, but again if if someone out there has read that book i'd love to get the comments back. I will try and put it into my big comments episode at the end of this season, and uh, we can discuss it a little bit more. I would love to know more about that book, but uh, that was seen as very much a satire on uh, American culture, the divide between um you know the arbitrary nature of ...racism and how slavery was putting labels on people... ...and that people will just become who they are... ...based on the upbringing they've had... ...not necessarily the the genetics of their time... ...that there is a nature, nurture element to humanity. In the universe of this Star Trek episode... ...did Samuel Clemens write that? Because he had an experience with this future crew... ...who are harmonious and working together? Maybe so, maybe so. But in our reality... As far as we know, he didn't have a time travel adventure with Mr Data, so uh, we'll just have to assume that he was so ahead of his time. So, back to the episode. We're seeing a newspaper article, and the headline is reading Cholera Outbreak, Hundreds Are Dying. It's setting up the background of this story that will become more prevalent later in the episode. Data's looking around the street. He finds a, a, a homeless beggar, and you help out a 49er. I know that that's a reference to the 49ers who went out, not necessarily to San Francisco, but that sort of area, that geography, uh, in 1849. So we're in 1893, so 50 years earlier. And uh, the 49ers were part of the gold rush of that time. They'd gone there, but they suffered many physical and mental illnesses because of their experiences trying to dig for gold. (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> whiskey um i uh, i have um a member of my family who who likes to uh, drink on occasion and is not the best with his health uh, so the idea of a character who who likes to drink to to dull the pain uh, is not someone i, I know uh, uh very little about Take dime. I'm sorry
1: but I have no form of legal uh, we're in the same program I I am in search of um, are cheap
0: in I like the advice being given here. The uh the, the homeless guy is helping out another homeless guy, even though he's just said, you know, this is my street, back off. He's at least trying to help him out. He kind of that um you know, the, the honor amongst the homeless, you know, they they're a they're a brotherhood. Um, we're seeing this guy is very sick. Data is trying to help him but also trying to get information himself. You're an actual, aren't
1: you? But just don't be too particular where you get your funds from. You in need of medical. I'm not a doctor.
0: It still baffles me today that um healthcare isn't completely free when you've got things like this happening. Um, around the world, I'm not going to single out the U.S. I know the U.S. has its own thing, but why healthcare isn't free everywhere? You've got this this man who is in dire need of just a simplest medication, but is relying on his own self medication to get through. And off he goes. So we have the bellboy. He's just making money. Data's is going to approach him put it on General gym alright sir I need temporary lodging looks like the missus you out in the, of the night I always love the reference to pyjamas Uh I mean as a uniform they are pretty ridiculous If it's a pseudo military I know that there's like a humanitarian aspect to Starfleet but the the idea that they're pyjamas is funny now that doesn't
1: matter at this hotel it's six bits a day for four hours a week
0: It's always a problem.
1: One both and physical. Perhaps your hotel would offer you a job. Jeez, I don't know. We're pretty happy with the maid we've got. Cook's decent. Dishwashers drunk all day, but at least he gets here on time. And there's me. I do everything else around here. Sorry.
0: The way he says sorry, like not sorry. Hashtag not sorry. Poker. <laughs> Poker. Uh, beautiful bit of character work for Data. Of course, he's going to win all that money uh, at a poker game. Oh, Baker, go to places
1: <laughs> A poker
0: face carved in mind. Mark Alimo, Goldakar himself, uh, still being as conniving and snake-like, uh, even when he's being a human. Uh, fantastic, fantastic guy. He's He is the actor who plays all those characters you love to hate. Um... I remember seeing him in the documentary uh, What We Left Behind for DS9 uh, He seems like quite a character I've never actually met him at conventions uh, Perhaps one day I will But uh, he kind of seems like someone that He, he could be quite divisive uh, I don't think you're going to get on with him all the time uh, He's a very opinionated man by the looks of it Excuse
1: me, Jack What the hell do you want? <laughs> I'd like to join the game
0: hey, hey. Face. Yeah, I know, it's a bit of a trope, isn't it, Pale face. I'm a Frenchman.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I love the heavy dubbing on that. He's, he's so clearly not saying it, but it's so good. The
1: is poker. deal is yours. The ante is
0: four bits. Using the combat badge. You've got to use the com badge. It is a crystalline composite of silicon beryllium. carbon, 70. Oh. I'll give you three dollars. Now, is that a deal or is he being really horrid to data? There's a look that uh, the Native American gives to uh, the character offering the dollars to data. Is he shortchanging him or, you know... Is the conversion rate that actually $4 back then is still quite a lot of money. Um, I am not entirely sure. I've never been sure of how to take that scene and the way that line is delivered as whether he's trying to stiff him or whether uh, the native American is saying, you're like, why are you giving him money? Why are you bringing another player in? What are you trying to do? So I've never known how to take that. So again, if you know your history, you know, this time period really well, please let me know was $4 well worth it for a, a lump of gold. Uh, We just had the 49ers, we just had the gold rush, so was that a time, uh, you know, a lot of money? Now, Data accepts, obviously, because he's going to win it back, so it did not really matter. He's going to get all his money, and then off he goes. He starts fishing out the cards really, really fast. (laughs) And (laughs) the jump cut. You know, normally, you know, TV shows today, you would have had that as a long, drawn-out five-minute scene, maybe even a montage sequence as he gets more and more money. But I just love the jump cut to the fact that he's not only uh, won the poker game, but he's won literally the clothes and the hat off their back. He's wearing the hat and the waistcoat from the Native American. He's just sort of walking in to this lovely grand suite at the hotel, and you're you're just seeing him uh, live out uh, the the American dream, I suppose. So the scene plays out. <laughs> You got the bellboy who's like asking for the tip, but Data doesn't quite understand. He's got his hand out. The mention of the cholera epidemic, just keeping that going in case you missed the headline. Thank you for your assistance. A dollar? Is anything you see now? He loves the fact that he was given a dollar as tip. So, is a dollar a lot of money? Again, it comes back to this point. If a dollar is a lot of money as a tip, and you know, you always think that maybe two, three. Four dollars, you know, each time the busboy helps you, would be a good tip. He was given a coin and was perfectly happy a few moments ago in, in an earlier part of the scenes. And if a coin was fine, and now he's being given a dollar, as if he's been shown, I don't know, a fifty quid note here in the UK. Um, his reaction seems to be good, so four dollars seem to have been a good offer for the combat, which is why I still can't judge whether I um, I, I understand what exactly that character was trying to do to Data.
1: However, I do require some supplies. I <laughs> think you need I can get it for you wholesale. I can get it for you less than wholesale, but you don't ask me where it
0: came from. This guy needs to meet Quark, doesn't he? Really? If it doesn't need... you know, If you don't mind where it comes from, I can get it less than wholesale. Uh, I can just imagine if the Ferengis came back to this time period, uh, what they would do uh, if they actually met him. How they would hide the ears? No idea. I'll
1: have to go clear across town. And it's not going to be cheap. Will this <laughs> be enough?
0: I would love to be in that position. Just, you know, reach into your coat pocket and just, you know, bring out a load of cash. Just ask for someone else to just get all your stuff for you. Uh, I Like I say, I'm recording this during our uh, coronavirus self-isolation. Just get a bit of money. Someone just delivers it to your door. Nice and easy. Huh. Bus boy is running down the steps. Off he goes, past the homeless 49er. He seems to be suffering, but... And then a shadow falls over him. I always liked these villains. I thought they were genuinely scary. They didn't say very much. They were a shadow, kind of looming there. They blended in so well with the environment around them. And because they're concerning themselves with what they're about to do, they're about to kill this guy. They're about to sap him of the energy, uh, to perhaps take it with this device that seems to be in a bag. And he's dead. And they're taking him. That just made just scary that they're they're preying on the vulnerable. We end at timestamp 27 minutes 16 seconds we come back at 31 minutes and 6 seconds data is assembling some sort of weird machine he's taking apart his phaser um, perhaps using the power cell to generate some power There's sparks and electricity flying everywhere <laughs> I love this visual gag he's brought in this really hev- heavy anvil and he just couldn't bring it in data picks it up in one hand <laughs> I've over-exerted myself yeah,
1: well, uh, what's it gonna be when it's finished
0: what do you think it is gonna be I thought this scene was actually a nice little callback to our episode with Kirk uh, stuck in the 1600s or what we thought was the 1600s where he had to play coy and not give away too much information you know he claimed he came from an island called Earth. And, you know, Data is not giving any answers, not taking anything, and just letting him assume and sort of play into it. We've got actual time travel here. Data has gone back in time, and he's trying not to influence events. He knows he's on Earth. Anything he could do could change things. At this point, we don't know the overarching story. We are only taking these clips, remember so he's trying to prevent perhaps any damage to the timeline so he's just letting this guy figure it out for himself kind of motor one of those horseless carriages that is a good guess <laughs> <laughs> you
1: really think there's money in those things? perhaps <laughs> isn't that what makes America great? to what are you referring? Well, a man rides into town in his
0: pajamas wins a steak stake at a poker table Turns it into a horse's carriage it makes a million bucks I like that <laughs> <laughs> the scene plays out uh, he tries to play jack uh, and sort of say that you know it's a horse's carriage engine but it's not quite ready yet so I'm not going to promise you anything and uh, he, you know uh, this bellboy is determined that he is going to be the one who's going to sell this engine and make a fortune or this sort of thing it's nice to hear it, it's good it, it plays out a little long as a scene but I guess if they were trying to fill the time for the episode they needed something. Uh, it doesn't really play into it, it's just giving more plausibility as to why people are just accepting Data uh, as he is. Uh, it, this scene plays into an act break, or an ad break, uh, and then we come into this new scene, and we have our star, our guest star, I suppose, of the uh, the episode. We have Mark Twain, Mark, uh, Samuel Clements himself, and he's about to talk about um, the the... Age of the Era, the satire of the time. It's, uh, natural it's such an overplayed character. Uh, he really leans into the, the, the hamminess of it. Uh, it's really over the top. Um, I don't know Mark Twain that well, as I said in the history segment. Um, so, you know, if, if this is supposed to be an accurate portrayal of Mark Twain, he is certainly eccentric. And there we get Guinan. This was genuinely puzzling. I remember the first time watching this episode and thinking, why on earth is Guinan back here and not on the ship? And, you know, we never saw a point where she travelled back in time, so what exactly is she going on? Kind of start to work it out that perhaps this is an earlier Guinan, but it was kind of weird to see straight off. There's also the other aspect that she is African-American. She's... um, of a skin color that would still be, I don't know, um, controversial in American society at this time. That that would they be accepting of an African American woman uh, in what appears to be high society? We're in this very ornate place, and you know, would they just accept her as that? Um, you know, she's clearly dressed in very fine garb, so perhaps she's rich. Perhaps she's seen as coming from a wealthy family, so they're more accepting. You know, money talks. Um, I don't know again I'm no expert in this time period so I would love to know you know how believable is this scene purely based on the fact of the race of um, of, of which guyan appears to be I do like that uh, you know the humanity is like a diamond shining just as brightly this increasingly hypothetical somewhat. Not be <laughs> <laughs> ah, the satire of the AJ. Eh? Um, human beings aren't all that great. This episode has been quite slow so far. There's really not much plot. It, it's kind of plodding along and just presenting the fact that there's this mystery here, that Guinan's somehow in the past as well. Data needs to try and find her. You know, we just had a whole scene that was... Um, Mark Twain talking about the age I know it was sort of talking about humanity and it's supposed to be the you know that uh, human beings are better than what they appear to be but it's delivered in a very slow way what that the enterprise. Is that a is well ingrained so if she came from another planet she really knows her stuff i mean she's talking about clipper ships and things like this you know she's she's clearly done her research just, <laughs> i love the reaction uh whoopi goldberg's uh, acting when she's trying to uh, uh sell that she had. oh of course she knows data she just completely forgot it, it almost veers into the acting you know, from ghost and sister act you know that felt more like Whoopi goldberg than it felt like gynan um but it's still funny to see as as she tries to play off that oh of course yes i know you let, let just go over here and have our secret talk about how we're you know not who we say we are she's not done listening i i really like that idea that perhaps the elorians were sent out into the galaxy uh to study literally everything and she's not done listening to us that perhaps she is trying to pick up our human history in, I don't know, like as though she's an organic recording device. Uh, I I kind of like that idea, but it also explains why um, the Borg perhaps you know become such mu- much more of an exponential threat. I know this is information from outside the clip, but just as a side uh, discussion piece, that if the Borg assimilate all of the Elorians, they're assimilating all of their knowledge, and if they know everything about all the cultures across the galaxy from them uh you know did the borg just suddenly explode their own sort of i don't know borg renaissance because they gained effectively knowledge of the entire universe i mean if they uh, assimilate an Elorian who was on a similar mission to Gynen and came to earth and learned about earth is that how they figure out more about us and how they sort of start pushing towards the alpha quadrant and beta quadrants you know do they learn everything um, I'm recording this after uh, episode 8 of the Star Trek uh, Picard show that's just aired and we've been learning about the abmonition uh, I've got big trouble trying to say and pronounce that but admonition, where there is some piece of information that the Borgs felt was so um, abhorrent or uh, so destructive to your mind it would destroy you and make you insane that they cut a ball cube off you know did an elorian find out about that and would they have known a bit earlier uh, would wouldn't they have found out a bit earlier or if they didn't uh, did that elorian go mad and actually kill themselves and you know that's a whole other story i mean that would be a fantastic little side story that you know the elorian who found it out uh, and we we never found out about it until later um, There there, there's ripe plucking, I think, for that story. She touches his nose. It's quite funny. I, into their temporal
1: vortex.
0: I like how an episode just explains itself. You know, I I do kind of miss the episodic way they're explaining the plot. You know, now the episode is almost over. At this point, we're about 39 minutes into the episode. There's only about six minutes left, and they've already explained everything. Now, unfortunately, they've been talking aloud, and someone's been eavesdropping, and it is Mark Twain. is by no means a activity for exactly. Nonetheless, the deed is done. Oh dear, they've been found out. And we stop at timestamp 40 minutes and one second. Now, as I say, the Netflix UK edit uh, ends there and they actually put these episodes into two parts, unlike some episodes where they play them as one. Uh, so I'm ending this at this point and then we're going to go into part two uh, separately. Now, that throws you out if you are watching this as one piece. But like I say, all of these will be based on uh, the UK edits based on streaming um, so I will uh, implore you to try and find the t- the timestamp um if you are watching this as one piece. So we open at timestamp one minute thirty-seven of part 2 Now of course he's talking about uh, the Yankee in King Arthur's court. Uh it astounds me that he was writing about you know um the butterfly effect he was talking about a traveler going back and changing uh history by uh, introducing concepts and technology that hadn't existed before uh He is profoundly aware of the danger of time travel uh something that this podcast was set up for uh in the first place uh so it's 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 fun to see that a character has already kind of gained that perspective. Uh, he's there talking to this journalist. And I have no doubt that their intent is to foul our world just like my Yankee did in King
1: Arthur's time. Well, uh, <laughs> let me serve notice. As soon as I have the necessary evidence, I intend to expose them and make it absolutely clear that they are not welcome here. Uh,
0: will this be a to Yankee, Mr. <laughs> I love that the journalist has no idea what he's talking about. He, he just assumes that this is him pitching his future books. Uh, it's a great way of sort of sidetracking the impact of having uh, these characters in the past. Uh, and, you know, the, it mitigates the impact because they don't believe him. Exactly the same way Data did uh, with the Bellboy Data has now left the hotel. Mark Twain is following him and those sinister aliens just walking by. Again, they are really good. You know, uh, nice. It's almost kind of, you know, the steampunky element of how them having this technology and they're just blending in with old uh, era technology. Now, we are going to cross over with the, uh, the credits. So we're going to skip the credits because they aren't happening at this time. And uh, we're going to go straight into the next step. So we have ended at 3 minutes, 17 seconds, and we come back at 4 minutes, 59 seconds. So that cholera epidemic has carried on. We've got both Riker and Dr. Crusher in full garb, uh, just detecting all of the, the bodies and how unusual they are that you know this cholera outbreak is acting in a virulent way that wouldn't be in keeping with what cholera was doing at the time.
1: The cerebral cortex, the brain stem, The entire nervous system has been depleted
0: Of electrochemical energy Now I don't know the science behind this But it's tech the tech speak And I always love it when it's up So it's it's a good uh, good chance to hear some tech the tech Now this story In modern times Would this have actually been a season long arc We could have had some characters in the past Some characters in the future and that we would be flipping back and forth. It's, it still staggers me that a big concept like this was brought in and then placed as a two-parter in the show, that they didn't try to stretch it out, flesh it out a bit more. Now, I know at the time, that was a way of thinking that was completely alien and something they wanted to avoid because this was syndicated TV and they didn't want to have people confused. They kept on flipping in and out. But as we're about to see... They're having this little conf lab, They're talking about uh, what's going on. <laughs> I love the moments where Gates McFadden and Marina Certis are holding their waists because they they've got the corsets on. Uh, it, you know, it's it's just that little tiny bit of acting in there, um, just to reinforce that they're so uncomfortable in this garb uh, from the time period. Um, but just coming back to that point, that why TV wouldn't want to make a story arc, you know, step away from. Uh, the big expensive sets and the cgi and have like this understated character piece period piece uh, you know using old sets uh, from other tv shows and films at the time uh, you know reduced your costs you know just go somewhere else on the paramount lot reuse some of their sets uh, it still baffles me that they would have seen that as a way of you know reducing the cost of the show but keeping a nice uh, story all the way through and that's modern storytelling um I like a bit of both. I like me episodic, I like me arc story. But today, this whole arc would have been, you know, maybe a season, maybe a season and a half. <laughs> I love the idea that uh, Geordie knows that she's coming, he can see her using the visor, and then has to pop these uh, absurd uh, glasses on um, and sort of blind himself. <laughs> Mr. Pickard. More bad Irish accents. Um... Actually, no, is this a bad accent? You know, I know it's exaggerated, but um, how do uh, Irish speakers, are there Irish speakers listen to this show? You know, what what is a good accent? What is a bad accent? To my ear, that doesn't sound right, but you know, is it offensive to you, this accent, Mr. Pickard?
1: Even now, my, uh, my troop. <laughs>
0: the acting troop. Um, uh, this is actually one of the things I loved about uh, Stardust City Rag, the episode in Star Trek Picard Season 1 where it, you know they were getting into their lavish costumes and going over the top and Picard got an eye patch you know it was a nice little callback to the absurd excuses that Starfleet officers do when they go on like a, a special undercover mission um you know and here's Picard saying oh i've got an acting troupe this is uh, shakespeare company um I, I strongly suspect this is patrick stewart also coming into it and he tries to convince her i'll pay you the rent don't worry just you know, just give us a bit of time now please <laughs> And it hasn't worked. The ploy has not worked. She walks off, <laughs> just breezes it off. So Miss Clements is uh, sneaking into the apartment, trying to get an idea of what's going on. So skipping through the scene, not much happens here. Um, you know, the bellboy is, is convinced that uh, he's got a story to tell and that he would like Mark Twain, Samuel Clemens, to write it for him. Uh, and then he's saying, you know, only you are qualified to write your own story. Um, as a writer, as an author, that you know, it's lovely to hear and sort of and see that you know, uh, you write what you know and you keep to your own story. Uh, it's a lovely bit of, of writing for me as uh, as an author. But uh, to most people, I imagine this scene is going on a long time without much happening. You know, we get the point. He's sneaking around. He wants to know more about data, but kind of just get on with it. <laughs> if anything, you know, he he steals the battery and data and and come in they start to discuss what's going on Uh, I do like the fact that when they reveal that uh, Mark Twain has has taken the battery uh, sorry Samuel Clements has taken the battery that uh, it's uh, dangerous to humans if there's a prolonged exposure and of course he drops the battery because he realises that's going to hurt him Uh, they find him hiding in the wardrobe uh, there's something farcical about it, uh, which is fitting of the period. You know the the plays. Uh, I'm thinking now Oscar Wilde, that sort of thing. The kind of farcical element, of the the guy hiding inside the closet. Uh, it's a it's a nice little fun aside. They find the battery. They pick it up. He is dogged. He really sticks by this. He really wants to protect his time and his planet. He's. Uh, He's very forthright. You know, he'd make an excellent Starfleet officer as well. And he sees right through the French story. Again, Samuel Clarence has said that he's been following data, he's been trying to find out what he's doing, learning about geological surveys and mines, and trying to work out uh, what data is actually up to. Uh, He's a superb investigator. The scene switches to uh, a ward, where now uh, Picard is changing some gas lamps, and uh, Crusher is scanning different bodies... There's a great bit where a doctor turns to Crusher and says, Nurse, uh, I trust you can keep everything in charge. And she does this wonderful uh, eye roll as her back is turned to him. And then she turns back and just plays the part. Uh, You know, the the idea that uh, because she's a a nurse, a lowly nurse, she can't look after everybody without him. Uh, And yet, you know, there she is with this superior piece of technology, curing people. Um, she does a classic mccoy move and tries to cure them obviously that hasn't happened yet as far as our podcast is concerned but the idea that the doctor is always trying to save people who are uh, suffering from these old illnesses we also get laforge and troy are questioning some of the patients and they start talking about these uh, two aliens who are visiting the the patient's and every time they visit, the symptoms start to increase. The aliens then visit a patient on that ward, just as Crasher is there. She tries to confront them, but uh, gets attacked. Uh, LaForge is currently wearing the visor and tries to take it. He may to get the staff off them, uh, and then they run off. There's a great bit of switching every time. LaForge is so aware of his surroundings that he needs to hide the fact that he's got the visor, that he just tucks it away, and every now and then you'll just see him out of shot, he would have tucked it away and then just as the camera comes back to him his hand is coming away from a pocket the actor is intensely aware that he has to constantly do this changing and so he's signalling to the audience that he has changed it it's really nice Uh, there's a a police officer who doesn't recognise Riker even though he's dressed as a police officer as well they try and give a lame cover story that very just come here and Riker then tries to sock him in the jaw with his, his uppercut move which as far as I'm aware as a defense move in in martial arts would be absolutely useful like all your power wouldn't be in in the thrust. Knocks him out and down he goes. They're out on the street and Data is about to rock up with a huge carriage just enough to collect everyone. Now how Data knew about everybody being there and needing a space for everybody it's a bit fortunate. I love the cut coming up as well you can see the stunt double Driving the cart looks nothing like data. Really good, do give it a look when you watch this. Obviously, act break, and we come back in. Tech the tech. Triolic waves. Triolic waves. I wonder, if I take my com badge and hook it up to this device, and I use triolic waves, perhaps I could open a portal and push myself back to my own time. If I can just open the casing on this device, I am going home. I am getting out of here. I don't care where I end up. I don't care if I die from this Atavacron. I am getting out of here. I am no longer be making a podcast for these gods. After all, what do gods need with a podcast? This is cool. The, the idea that there's a, 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 a biological creature that can open vortexes in time. Uh, great set up for uh, Discovery think of all the problems that Discovery came into when they were criticising it for having a spore drive and being able to move across the galaxy on a, a biological propulsion and here we are there's a alien snake that can allow time travel you know, there's biological reasons for everything not everything has to be a, a plausible scientific explanation, it can just be a fun plot story element and I think this is one of the best examples of how Uh, We can defend things like Discovery from the naysayers, the haters, the people who are just desperately clinging on to a reason to hate this show um, by going back to, uh, you know, one of the best two-parters, Time's Arrow. And here's a snake that can cause time travel. And you've got a problem with mushrooms that allow for fast travel around the universe. And off the soapbox, I get Data's head was found. So this is what started the mission. Obviously, I know, I've watched this episode a million times, uh, but Data's head was found. So we've been introduced to the idea that perhaps there's something's going to happen to Data. He's been trying to find this cave, which is why he's been investigating all of the mineral deposits and so forth. But we're introduced to this idea that perhaps there's a time loop at play. Now, this will play into my review later when I come to the continuity aspect of my rating. Uh, But if we are in a time loop, then there might be other things at play. And we're back to having the acting troupe and uh, all of this. And I'll be skipping through this part of the scene. So, uh, they come in, they play, they try and butter her up by saying she had a fantastic delivery when it is so undeniably awful and flat. It put me in mind of every time when we were in English class at school and we had to do uh, a reading to the, the rest of the class. Uh, we, we were given a page each and then uh, one after the other we had to read the rest of the page. And you know, myself included, we just blankly read every word as we were saying it and it's so awkward and horrible to be forced into reading aloud when you haven't mentally prepared for it. You need a bit of time to work on your cadence, your delivery and your characters, and and you have to kind of give it some time. You know, when you're reading it into your head, it's not necessarily what comes out of your mouth. Uh, So it's a funny scene, and I do enjoy it, but uh, it, it plays more into this aspect that, you know, Star Trek doesn't have to be serious all the time. We've got a snake that can cause time travel, and we've got Starfleet officers pretending to be actors. It's always good fun. So the scene moves on, we then get an, a meeting between Picard and Guinan. Guinan has no idea who he is, but the way Patrick Stewart enters the scene and is so confident and uh, and wants to tell her everything about how much she means to him, it, the way he holds himself, it really is a presence to watch. Uh, Mark Twain then goes back to the uh, journalist and he's starting to convince him that this isn't just a pitch for a book, that there are time travellers, that there is something serious going on, and that he wants to meet this this uh, this man uh, designate time when he tells him how he's thwarted these evil time travellers. The crew have moved into a cave, and Mark Twain has appeared with a Colt pistol, uh, and is holding them at gunpoint, and tries to stop them from doing anything. The aliens arrive, they intervene, they take uh, the cane away from them. There's a bit of a scuffle, and just as uh, they fall about, there's sort of an energy pulse that knocks the female alien aside and has mortally hurt her, whereas the male uh, alien grabs hold of the staff and then jumps through a time portal, which has opened up into the side of the canyon. All the characters are in disarray. They are just about to jump through. They follow after the alien, and go back to their own time, as well as Samuel Clements, who jumps in after them. <laughs> I do love the special effect, I have to say, the 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 constant flickering and cutting. it It's a very uneven special effect, and clearly he's jumped off to the side where there's a green screen. But Guinan is hurt, and we stop at timestamp 25 minutes 33 seconds. We come back at 27 minutes and 47 seconds. Ah, 47, here we go. 47, uh, to uh, our Star Trek fans, means a lot to non-Star Trek fans if you're listening. 47 is uh, a time that is littered throughout Star Trek and is a very big reference. We have uh, Patrick Stewart and Whoopi Goldberg playing their characters in this cave. Uh, it's a nice little character work, really good. It cements why Guinan um, trusts Picard so much and vice versa. Um, obviously she's injured where she fell to the side we're going to skip through the scene though because there isn't much to go on here uh we see data's head lying on the floor data's head was blown off when they grabbed hold of the staff uh, of the snake staff and uh Picard simply says that that is that's history fulfilling itself we stop at 29 minutes 19 seconds we come back at 33 minutes 22 seconds the injured female alien uh is glowing and sort of showing her true self uh, it's it's a nice little design, I have to say. The, um, the the makeup and costume is really good. Picard is trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, again, uh, we discover that you know, as is common on Star Trek, these animals just want to feed. Uh, it's just like several other creatures. We're about to find out when we come to Star Trek, and we watch the episodes properly. She sort of fades away as she dies, and the scene ends at thirty four minutes and thirty two seconds. We come back at 36 minutes 41 seconds. Card uh, sees Data's head uh, picks it up and starts to tinker around with a, like an iron nail or an iron filing um, that he finds a around in the, in the cave Presumably he's tinkering around with the head uh, so the head once it's found in the future which started this whole time loop uh, will have some sort of message perhaps. We'll have to find out And we stop at 37 minutes and 32 seconds. Come back at 40 minutes, 23 seconds. Samuel Clements comes back, says we got your message and that they're going to look after Guinan, that uh, her injuries will be seen to and she will survive. Now, we know that because she must be in the future. Otherwise, uh, Picard would not have the reaction to it. Uh, So Picard has successfully sent a message in the future, you know, uh, don't do whatever you were planning to do now we know what that finally will be if we watch the episode properly when it comes round in our TNG rewatch uh, but uh, there is something the Enterprise will do that he has stopped them from doing uh, and then Samuel Clements uh, has a phase variance written down on his hand for the phaser so that he can uh, get uh, Picard back in time and we stop at 40 minutes 49 seconds Coming back at 41 minutes and 14 seconds. We simply see Picard uh, use the uh, cane. He says he wants to know Mark Twain. He wish he had more time to get to know him, but unfortunately it's just not going to happen. I love Mark Twain's comeback. He says that, you know, you just read my books. You'll know everything about me from that. As an author, I really wish I could say that. Maybe one day I'll be a really good author and then everyone can know about me through that as well. And Picard goes back to his own time. And we stop at 42 minutes and 11 seconds. The final callback is 43 minutes, 46 seconds. Our crew have gone back in time, but we're seeing that Samuel Clemens is a man of his word, that he is sending Guinan off to get her medical attention. He exits the cave and goes back to his own normal timeline, but not before he notices that he left his timepiece behind. And he's going to leave the watch here. Perhaps they'll discover the watch with Data's head after all. A bit of Mark Twain will go into the future with him. It's kind of a nice little aside. I like it's a little tiny moment. And we finish on Data's head as the credits roll. And we end at 44 minutes, 35 seconds. So our next rating criteria is continuity. As has been alluded to during the actual scenes and clips that we just watched, there is a time loop involved. So anything leading up to the time loop effectively being resolved, just as Picard said that it was history living itself out, is covered by that. There is no further impact on continuity. Everything that has happened is supposed to happen. But what about everything else afterwards? So we have all the scenes that involve um, Picard and early Guinan all the way through uh, to when he is eventually rescued. And you have, um, of course, uh, Samuel Clements coming back. Now, he's been to the future. Whatever his adventure might be, he has clearly seen something of the future, whether he's gone to an alien planet, the Enterprise, wherever. So him coming back will impact um, the rest of his life, the rest of the timeline from that point. So there are elements of what he has uh, learnt that will possibly affect the rest of his career. Now, as I mentioned in the historical segment, there were books still being published well after this event takes place. So, in reality, Mark Twain never time-traveled, and of course he released those books. But in the Star Trek reality, there is now two timelines. There's the timeline of Mark Twain, who never time-traveled and released the same books as in reality. And there are now other books. Almost the same book, but inside the mind of Mark Twain is the knowledge of the future, be it good or bad. There is now two timelines from this point from the 19th century now as far as Guinan and Picard we have to assume that they are also covered by the same time loop even though the time loop has stopped now if they are covered by the time loop isn't Samuel Clements also covered by the time loop and I think I'm going to come back to him placing the watch on the side of the rock by placing his watch on the side of the rock I'm guessing that's an allusion to the fact they will find a watch, the, the watch next to Data's head, when we come to the episode properly. That means that all the characters here are in a time loop. Because of that, our two timelines are completely cancelled out. The time loop has been closed. By Picard going back, by Samuel Clements leaving the watch, we have effectively closed the loop. Anything that may have changed... ...we have Guinan there. Now Guinan, as I know from other experience from watching Star Trek... ...has powers that go far beyond what we understand... ...and sometimes have a temporal nature to them. So I'm going to treat Guinan's presence as if we had the presence of a Q. Any timey wimeyness, any changes to the continuity... ...I'm seeing as cancelled out by the presence of Guinan. So as far as continuity is concerned... There is no impact. The time loop has been closed. These events have happened. Now, it does bring up one interesting problem, and this is called the bootstrap paradox. If Data only goes back in time because he finds his head in the cave under San Francisco, that means the head had to be there. But presumably, there is an original timeline that happened where Data's head wasn't there And this entire adventure never happened. The aliens never go back in time. They never use the cholera epidemic as a cover for sapping the energy out of uh, people of the time. That never happens. But then there is an original time where Data goes back, his head is left there, and that then continues the loop. If we are in a paradox state, the events of the loop may not have any further continuity, but it does assume that there was a first timeline. So going back, we now have two timelines branching from this point. We have the timeline that this adventure never happened, and we have the timeline that is continually in a loop until the point where everybody gets back to the Enterprise at the end of the episode. So going forward, whenever we watch a Star Trek episode, we have to keep in mind that there are now two timelines in effect from before Starfleet ever happens. All the events of the 20th century are now possibly in two timelines. For however long this podcast lasts, I'm always going to try and refer to these two timelines and perhaps even more timelines to come as events unfold. I may be using these segmented timelines as well to explain uh, inconsistencies, perhaps contradictions, in any of the information we get given. If a character says something one episode, and then a few years later says something that contradicts it, perhaps we are in different timelines. Our next category is alterations. As I was watching this, I did mention that The pacing of the episode seems a bit off. There's a lot of fun here. There is a lot of goofiness. There is uh, the the great conceit that we're having a historical figure like Mark Twain involved in our favourite characters coming back in time and having a time adventure. That's good. That's really nice Star Trek stuff. And it, it really does appeal to me as a lover of time travel and that trope. However, the pacing is very slow. There's a lot of staying in a scene... Much longer than needs to be. There are lots of lines and points where I would try and speed things up, perhaps introduce uh, the concept of a ticking clock to the episode. As much as I love the antagonists, the aliens who are going back in time and stealing all of the energy, there's no sense of foreboding, there's no sense of pace. To the actions they're taking. They're just simply going back. They take the energy. They take it back to their cave. Wherever it may be. That the dying alien was mentioning. Without that sense of pace. It just kind of feels like everything could happen. For as long as it wants. Our crew could be stuck there for a year. Two years. Eight months. It seems to lose any kind of pace to the episode. By the threat. Not having some sort of. Impending. Timeline to work to. There's no deadline for the aliens. So, in my alterations, I would probably shorten scenes, perhaps try and make it a little bit more dynamic in the speech. Taking a case in point, the time when Samuel Clemens comes into Data's apartment, steals the battery, and tries to hide in the wardrobe. Kind of feel like that could have happened a little faster. We could have had the bellboy let Samuel Clemens in. He's just about to take the battery, just as Data and Guinan walk in. Uh, The bellboy runs off because he's ashamed, because he lets uh, Samuel Clemens in. And uh, Data sort of admonishes him, so it moves him on. Uh, And then we have a, a bit more confrontation. There's a bit more speed to it. And I think with most of the scenes, I would do the same sort of thing. With the exception of the funny scenes where it is our main characters pretending to be a troop of actors... Uh, there is that sort of Midsummer Night's Dream quality to it, you know, the, the players within the play, um, it, it's a fun aside, that is the bit where it's okay to sort of take a bit more time because you're playing with it, you're having a bit of fun with the time travel, the costumes, you know, it's, it's that tongue in cheek, the goofiness that I've mentioned. Star Trek doesn't have to always be serious, but I do feel it kind of needs a bit of pace to it, so this episode does need more pace and so on to our next segment which is recommendations now to Star Trek fans I think as I have said I've shown my hand on this one I think it's one of the better two-parters I think it's a much more fun adventure and I think it is actually essential viewing because we've got this time loop story uh, we've got you know, a, a fun sort of time romp we're taking characters into situations that we wouldn't normally see maybe outside of a, a holodeck malfunction episode so to me I would recommend this to Star Trek fans. It's fun. Taken uh, away from the episode and just looking at the time travel elements, there is enough of a story from A to B to C here. The pacing is off, as I've just mentioned in my last recommendation, but there's enough here to watch to enjoy. Now, to a non-fan, without the context if we were, again, coming back to this idea of making a uh, a brainwashing kit and trying to get people into Star Trek, just taken on its own, just the time travel adventure on its own, I don't think there's enough here. That pacing really is a problem. When you factor it into modern TV making, even if you give it a pass because of the the time that it was made, they're still too slow. Uh, They're still not giving us enough, quickly enough. Uh, you don't feel a set of foreboding or threat from, say, other two-parters, such as Best of Both Worlds, where there's just that that pace that goes straight through the episode. Sorry to sound like a broken record, but that P word really does come in in this episode. So to non-fans, I can't recommend this segment. To the godlike fans, we have closed a time loop. Without that, we may have thrown the entire space continuum out, and we have introduced two time streams. We now have changed this podcast forever. We have changed the rewatch forever. Every episode now, throughout Star Trek, from the 19th century onwards, is tainted or tinged with this separation of two timelines. The one that happened initially, and then the time loop timelines, which is constantly going back at this point. So, to the godlike beings, I'd say that this segment is exceptionally important and has to be in a rewatch now, what remains is for me to set up the um actually, you know what no I- I'm not doing it. I've been making this show with no help, no guidance. I want out q I know you're listening q. q. Come here now.
1: You called?
0: I'm not doing it. I'm not making any more shows. Till you explain what's going on, I'm not doing it. Spoil
1: sport. What are you planning on doing? Going out the back door, are we? You see,
0: I've been thinking. Careful, you might hurt yourself. Why did you wait? Why did you wait till I turned up wherever here is to start all of this? Why not just click your fingers and just bring me here, straight from Earth? Well, um... You see, I think you can't. You couldn't. You and every other god back there can't do anything outside wherever here is.
1: Took you long enough. You see, I had a bet that you'd work it out around the medieval era, but I guess I owe Charlie one quintillion kwatloos now.
0: Oh, Boo-hoo. I've had enough.
1: I'm leaving, and... And what? You go back to filing reports, storing records, analysing data. I give you a gift to explore space-time, reality, limitless dimensions, and all you do is complain. A gift? Yes, a gift of a little trek through time. The beings here have seen it all. And know everything that will happen. But your adventures are brand new. We need entertainment in this place, this prison. We are outcasts. We need something to amuse ourselves. Amuse
0: us? <laughs> Starfleet will pull me out. I'm on a lifeline.
1: <laughs> oh, it's just too funny. What? You think those two officers back at the Guardian were from Starfleet? What? Oh, what did I expect? My dear Ensign, they were impostors. Followers of the Par Wraiths. We forged your transfer, made up the whole thing. It was infuriatingly limited. I normally like to use my powers, but I have to say it did keep us laughing for centuries. So... Starfleet? Hasn't even noticed that you're gone, my dear friend.
0: Well, then, looks like I've got nothing to lose. Get some other stooge. I'm done. Oh no,
1: come back. What?
0: Where where am I now?
1: this thing on? Hello? Hello? Ha ha! You thought it was that easy to leave. You see, this device in your hand is mine to control. I have to admit, I'm quite impressed with your efficiency in getting it to hook up to your comm device. and Having a little go at time travel by yourself. But now you're going to have to observe time amongst the action. Actually I have to say, it will help liven things I'm sorry to report, but the ratings are in on this show, and it needed a bit more pep, let's just say that. From now on, you'll be making the show, observing events as they happen. You son of a... Uh-uh-uh-uh.
0: Now, now. I'm no one's son, and I'll kindly ask that you not assume my parentage. I'll tell you what. What have you done? The device has changed. My combadge?
1: That com badge Now has the ability to contact other people from that real reality watching the TV show. You can now choose to go and observe events with others as well. Might help make things more interesting. Just observe and nothing you do will affect anything.
0: And what if I refuse?
1: I'm a criminal cue. You think I'm someone that you'd want to refuse?
0: I... I guess not.
1: Good. Now, some of us here will put some ideas together as time goes on. Try and keep things interesting, you know. Uh, you're about to become intradimensionally famous, you know. Your next watch begins soon. The stage is set. The orchestra engaged. Time to see if you conduct.
0: dance. Oh, no. This is never going to end. Oh, join me next time at timestamp. 13 minutes 59 seconds as we go to Season 1 of the original series. Thank you very much for listening to this. Season 1, Part 1 of the Temporal Trek Podcast. And I guess I'm going to see you in the next time stream. If you'd like to contact the show, there's now a Twitter account. Search Temporal Trek Podcast at rider underscore coattail or... Contact me directly at Hitch underscore Daniel. I'm also on Instagram, Daniel underscore Hitch underscore Writer. There's also a website with all of the timestamps you need to follow along. Go to ridingcoattails.simplesite.com and click the Temporal Trek page link. The show is always going to be free. There's no Patreon at all, but... If you wish to financially contribute to the show, feel free to find my books by searching me, Daniel Hitch, on Amazon, and we'll catch you in the next time stream.